Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to, to meet together, and we thank you for weeds. We know that you allowed them for our character development, and we pray that uh, we would learn the lessons from the weeds that you would have us to learn, so that not only our gardens, but our hearts would be cleansed of all weeds. <coughs> Thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, how many of you enjoy weeding? Yeah, well, I do too. In fact, I love it. It's one of my favorite things to do, honestly. Um, and I don't care whether they're little. Little is easier, of course, because you can stand up. We'll talk about that. But big weeds so satisfying to pull out weeds and have a oh yeah and and the thing that i love is it's mindless work <laughs> so you know what that means your mind can be other places talking about um walking with god in the garden weeding is one of the best places to walk with god in the garden because you can just meditate, pray, whatever you want to do. So we're going to talk about 12 tips to av avoid the embarrassment of having your weeds showing today. And I want to start with this quote to kind of give us perspective. He who tells the soil is to make his work an object lesson of the careful, thorough work which must be done in the culture of the soil of the heart. Review and Herald, June 27, 1907. Do we understand what that's saying? He who tills the soil is to make his work an object lesson of the careful, thorough work which must be done in the culture of the soil of the heart. So, how many weeds do we want in our heart? Zero. Zero. How many weeds do we want in our garden? If our garden is an object lesson of what we want God to do in our hearts, um, we need to learn how to control weeds, right? So let's jump right in. So I, I will try to go through this fast enough that there's time for questions at the end. I'm sure you have questions. Number one, and, and I've tried to do these kind of in order of ease, starting with the simplest things. And you might not think this is the simplest, but um, and then getting to the more high tech, complicated things towards the end. Transplant as much as you possibly can. This is actually one of the biggest keys to market gardening success. Transplant as much as you can. Why? Well, actually there's many reasons which go beyond just weeds this morning, so I won't go into it too much, but think about this. It immediately gives you a three or four week or more head start on the weeds. If you plant, trying to think of a, a simple example, plant a, a beet seed in the ground, beets don't germinate super fast, you know, depending on the temperature and so on. It'll be, you know, six or seven days probably before they come up and, and you know, they're these tiny little things. And as we all know, weeds germinate faster than the good plants, right? How many of you had this experience? You till up this beautiful soil and you go out there and you make all your nice rows, sow your seeds, water it good, and you come back the next week and it's like, where did they go? <laughs> it's just green. Everything is green, right? Um, so transplanting, you know exactly where your plants are. You can weed from day one. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. You never have issues with spotty germination, you know, where rows, you've got 
just a few plants here or there. You've got consistent rows of sturdy, hardy plants. It's huge. And, and like I say, there's many other reasons for doing transplants. In fact, we need to have a seminar on growing transplants because that's, yeah, put that down on your survey tomorrow night and we'll make sure it happens because that is a bit of an art. Okay, use tight plant spacings to shade out weeds. Best weed is another plant, right? Because uh, once the soil is covered, um, weeds just don't grow as well. They won't germinate as well because there's not so much light, but even if they do germinate, they kind of just do their little thing, but they never really, I mean, there's exceptions to that, but for the most part, tight plant spacings will shade out a lot of your weeds. And, and the key here is plant, you want your plant leaves to be touching at three quarters of mature size. So let me just say, this is why most market gardeners and, and even home gardeners, we would encourage you to plant in beds, 30 inch wide beds, um, rather than just single rows because if you have single rows, you're, you're going to have a lot more bare soil exposed. You're going to have a lot more weed challenges. When you plant in beds, like this is lettuce. Actually, I, this is, is baby lettuce, I think. So this really doesn't quite illustrate perfectly. But if you're doing head lettuce, you plant three rows in a bed depending on the variety, about 10 inches apart both ways. And when they're three quarters size, they cover the whole bed and you don't have to cultivate anymore. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, third thing. Now this is a big one. If you go away with nothing else, I want you to, to go away with this one. Use a stale seed bed. What is a stale seed bed? Well, what you do is you prepare your beds for planting two or more weeks ahead of time. And this is just about planning, you know. So, so you go out there, instead of just going out and tilling up your soil, and I say tilling generically, I'm not really in favor of tilling, but working up your soil, um, and then we plant immediately. Well, as we just talked about, the weeds germinate faster than the plants and you're in trouble from the get-go. A stale seed bed, you, you prepare the bed, you put all your amendments on, everything you're gonna do, rake it out smooth, and then leave it for a couple weeks. Water it. What are you gonna do? you're gonna you're gonna get all those weeds to germinate and then there's a number of different ways you can deal with that but probably the simplest thing is you take a hoe and we'll be talking more about those in just a minute um, just lightly you know as soon as you see those weeds coming up the best time to weed well th there's a saying cultivate don't weed Cultivate is just stirring the soil. Weeding is pulling out, you know, weeds. You don't want to ever have to weed. In fact, I tell people, the minute you get on your hands and knees, if you're a market gardener, you've just lost your profit for that crop. So the key is to stay off your hands and knees when it comes to dealing with weeds. So when they're super small, you can just, if the soil's dry, if it's a sunny day, just disturbing, lightly scratching the soil, those weeds are done. So ideally, if you're really on top of your game, you would do that, you know, two or more weeks ahead of time. Let the first flush of weeds come up. You knock those back. And the, the reason why you're wanting to do it very shallow is because you're not wanting to bring more weed seeds up. And then water it again, do it a second time. 
you're going to get rid of the vast majority. I, I mean, I don't have any scientific measure of this, but I say at least 80% of your weed pressure will be gone. So that's a huge one. So Very two weeks and then do it again and then two more weeks? Well, sure, but I mean, at least a week. You, you, so you would, you would prepare your beds, water them, wait a week, scratch the soil, disturb the soil, kill those weeds, wait another week, do it again, and then, you know, depending on how on top of your game you are. Now, I will throw in something that complicates this a little bit. And this is something you just have to learn through experience. But there are cool weather weeds and there are warm weather weeds. And so depending on the time you're planting your garden, um, you may be getting rid of a lot of your cool weather weeds and then your stuff is coming up right as it's warming up enough that the grasses, the, the warm weather weeds are largely grasses, which are a real pain. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. You just have to know your area. You know, for us, they really start taking off in May. The grasses really start germinating and everything. If you're earlier, if you're starting an early spring garden, you're going to be dealing with your purslane and your hen's bit and, and some of those kind of weeds. Um, so that does complicate it a little bit, but the point is the more you knock those back, the less weeds there are in your soil. Okay, use specialized cultivating hose. And you know, I'm kicking myself that I didn't bring some of these because I wasn't doing like the market gardening seminar. I wasn't even thinking about it. But um, let me just say, you know, most people, if you just have a standard garden hoe and you're using that for weeding, it's very, very inefficient. Number one, you're bent over. Number two, you're chopping at the weeds and most of your energy is going into a hoe that's not even touching the ground. You know, the tools I'm talking about are very efficient. This is Elliot Coleman actually showing us one of his newest uh, inventions, a wire weeder. Collinear hoe. Do you know what a collinear hoe is? Okay, I'll just point you to the resource table out here, the free resources. Johnny's catalog, we've got 10 boxes of them. You know, we want you to take Johnny's catalogs for all your friends as well, because we've got hundreds of them. Um, they sell all these. The collinear hoe is something developed by Elliot Coleman. There's actually one, you can't really see it, but one here on his wall. Um, but it's just a flat blade, a thin blade. But the key is the angle that it is. You literally, you hold it like this. So you're upright. The blade is, is um, horizontal. No, it's just a flat, it's about, well, you can get them different sizes, but I think it's seven or nine inches wide. And you just, it's like sweeping the garden. You're standing straight up, so you're not all bent over, and you're just, you know, doing little stirring motions, and it just slices through that top level um, really nice and easy. It's, it's, it's a very specialized tool in that if you start hacking at weeds, you're going to break it. We've had a few broken by overzealous apprentices. <laughs> I've never broken one in 20 years of market gardening because if you use it properly, you won't break it. Um, so that's a wonderful tool. Now, I will say that one is best for beds that are well prepared. If the soil's really hard, it doesn't work well. So the idea, another 
important point with your beds, and that's not really topic of our our thing here, but you want to keep the soil in the bed loose. You're not walking on the bed. You're walking in your pathways. So as long as that soil is loose, this is, you know, just as simple as just going along like this. There's a great video, short video, on Johnny's website of Elliot Coleman demonstrating the collinear hoe. That's worth looking up if you want to see how to really use one. So that's the collinear hoe. Um, the next one is the stirrup hoe, and I think you can see that uh, not so well, but here's a stirrup hoe right here. I think you all have seen those, uh, they call them hula hoes many places. It looks like a stirrup. That's why they call it a stirrup hoe, and um, they work really well on harder ground. So ideally, you'd have a, a, a collinear hoe for your beds and a stirrup hoe for your pathways. Of course, you can use a stirrup hoe on a, on a bed. Um, the disadvantage of a stirrup hoe is it has sides on it. Your blade is, is like this, so you can't get really close to plants, you know, without knocking leaves off. Whereas the collinear hoe just, you know, it's got this flat blade with, with the thing coming up in the center so it can go under the leaves. Um, but with the stirrup hoe, you do have to bend over a little so it's, it's a little more work. You're putting pressure on it. And the point is, you're cutting on the pull and the push. So your, your blade is all the time in contact with the soil. It's much more efficient and you just go back and forth the one that Johnny sells both the collinear hoe and the stirrup hoe are from a, a Swiss manufacturing company Glacier and they're more Glosser I guess you say um, they're more expensive than what you would find you can buy stirrup hoes or hula hoes at the local hardware store and if that's what you can afford, then you do that. But um, these, you know, you can, re you can buy blade replacements and so on. So I think it's, I th feel it's worth the extra money to get a really quality stirrup hoe. And these tools will last forever, almost. Wheel hoes. Um, there's a picture of a wheel hoe right here. And I also, the next picture will show a wheel hoe better. But you can buy wheel hoes with a 12-inch stirrup on it. So you can just walk down your pathway. If, if um, your weeds are really small, you can literally just, you know, as fast as you can walk, just go down. And it's, it's much faster than a hand stirrup hoe. So if you have a garden of any size, you know, these, there's, there's a number of, of brands of these. I guess I just tell you, there's three main ones that I know of. The, the Glasser one from Johnny's is the Swiss made. It's, it's kind of considered the Cadillac. I've been able to use all of them a little bit. It's my favorite but it's it's the most expensive you know it'll cost you i think in the neighborhood of four hundred dollars which is crazy but you know it, it's swiss it's uh air freighted over here it's uh 350 with the blade or without a blade okay good yeah so 358 she says um, but if that was with a blade, it was with a narrower blade. Now, another nice thing about them is they have interchangeable um, hose. So you can get a narrow one and go between plants in the bed. The handle's offset so you can walk in your aisle and, and do the beds. Um, 
lot of nifty things. They have a furrower you can use if you're making a furrow for planting potatoes or onions or something. So they're, they're a multi, they're kind of, I guess you could say in a way, a poor man's tractor or something. They're, <laughs> you know, they're a step above hand tools, but not a tractor. But I, I love it, you know, it's, it's great exercise. If your weeds are a little bigger, you end up doing this kind of motion as you're going. Because um, number one, when you pull back, it unclogs the blade if you've got weeds building up on it. But secondly, as you, as you walk forward, you've got the momentum of your body plus the momentum of your of your hands going forward and it really puts a lot of power into the blade and you can you know you can cut off big weeds um, a new thing that I don't have um, is discs for the wheel hoe Jean Martin Fortier who you've probably heard about from somebody the market gardener um, he, he just was, I just saw something that he put out on discs that uh, anybody who's used tractors with, with farming knows that with some crops like corn and stuff, you, you like to hill it up a little bit. And not only does that strengthen the corn from falling over in a storm or something, but it also smothers any in-row weeds if they're small so they now have discs for wheel hoe that you can do the same thing he uses it on his beats just goes down to do this and I don't want to get bogged down in all these details but you have to have one with two wheels so it's straddling your bed and and pulling the dirt in okay so I'm just exposing you to these things you'll have to do a little more research or asking questions this is a wire weeder that he was showing um, that's not available from Johnny's yet but there is a company oh I forgot to tell you the other two brands of wheel hose Haas Haas is the cheapest one H-O-S-S it's made in the U.S. out of Georgia. Um, and then the third one is Valley Oak Wheel Hoe, made in California. They're, it's kind of in the middle. So the Haas is the cheapest. The, the Glasser is the most expensive. Uh, Valley, they, Valley, Hoe? Valley Oak. Oak Valley Oak Wheel Hoe. Um, you know, they... they all have their pluses and minuses. Okay, yeah, that's Terratech is Terratech is a French company that Johnny sells as well. I feel like that's a little bit different category in that it doesn't use the stirrups, but it it has some other specialized attachments. I've never I've never actually used a Terratech. Have you? Okay, yeah, he's saying that um, he found, finds the glacier, glacier more ergonomic. I, I will agree with that. I think that the Haas is not as adjustable. The handles aren't as adjustable and stuff. But it's half the price. So, you know, that does count for something. <laughs> um, wire weeders... The, the nice thing about the wire weeder, again, this is for, for your loose beds. This is not for trying to hack out weeds. This is really just disturbing the soil. But the nice thing is because there's no sharp edge on it, you're not going to cut your plant off. You know, if you get overzealous with the collinear hoe, you can decapitate your broccoli <laughs> um, when it's small. Whereas the wire weeder, and if you use um, drip tape 
this is not going to cut your drip tape like a collinear hoe would. And then there's another thing that um, I haven't really used much yet, but flex tine weeders. Johnny sells one brand, but this, the company that sells the wire weeders right now also sells the flex tine weeders. It's called Two Bad Cats. Two Bad Cats out of Maine, I think. They've got a, a few unique tools. It's, it's the father and son business. But basically, flex tine weeders, they're, they're used quite a bit by big vegetable growers. They have all these flexible tines, and you actually run right over your crops. It's amazing how it works. And, you know, you don't want to use it on everything, and it's, it's for using when they're small. But like a carrot, you know, a carrot puts down a taproot right away. And so you can run this flex tine thing over it, and it's not going to pull the carrot up. It's not going to disturb the carrot. But all your other little germinating weeds, it'll just pull them up. So it's kind of a neat thing that I would like to use more. I, I really have very limited exposure to it. I don't, I'm sorry, um, but you can go on the website. What time do we end here? 11.45, right? Okay. Yeah, I, I apologize. I, I should have had actual, well, our car was pretty packed. I don't know if I could have gotten <laughs> in. Okay, here's a picture of a wheel hoe. This is the Glosser wheel hoe. Um, and this actually is making furrows for planting potatoes. But now I will say what you don't want is one of those, you've seen the big wheeled wheel hose. Um, ergonomically, they're very poor. Um, and, and Elliot Coleman makes a much better explanation than I can in the time I have in his book, The New Organic Grower. Basically, you see the the energy here is going straight into your tool your your force is going right here whereas with a big wheel hoe where the handles are up here you're it's it's just not from a physics point of view it doesn't make as much sense and i have used one of them and i would never recommend one did you say that's the glacier that is the glacier G-L-A-S-E-R. Okay, so this, this is huge. Schedule time for cultivating. And, you know, I, I could start out this lecture by saying weed control is simple. There's nothing to it. It's just little attentions often repeated. If you never let the weeds get big... Um, it's not even hard, it's fun. So it, it really is about doing it faithfully. And, and the problem is, you know, especially if you're not, haven't spent a lot of time in the garden, you're thinking, oh, well, they're only this big, you know, I can wait until next week. No, you can't. Next week, if it's summertime, they're going to be this big. And, you know, there's another quote I love by uh, Peter Henderson, who was a New Jersey market gardener in the 1800s. He says, you know, one man can do in a day the same amount of work as eight men if you get them when they're small. You know, it's just so much more work, so much more work. So this, you know, just, okay, every Sunday we're going to, weed the garden, cultivate the garden, um, you know, and then it rains and it's like, oh, well, we'll have to wait till next week. No, you better not. You better just reschedule for Monday or Tuesday. Tell you the worst thing for weeds is a rainy stretch that that can do you in. Okay, use shallow till or no till. This is a picture of, of a tilther 
which um, is, is another tool that Elliot Coleman developed and is sold by Johnny's. It's, it's like a, a miniature rototiller, but the difference is it's only, it's only tilling up the very surface of the soil. So what it's doing is, is preparing a nice seed bed if you're going to direct seed stuff. But what it's not doing is, you know, a rototiller is bringing up the last 20 years worth of weeds to the surface to germinate. And there's other reasons why I don't really like using a tiller. But um, by using shallow till or no-till, um, and, and no-till is not what conventional farmers talk about no-till. In conventional farming, no-till is using Roundup. Uh, in, in organic farming, no-till is just not disturbing the soil deeply. Um, now, I, I know I, I heard a little bit of another lecture yesterday that might um, contradict that. And all I can say is study for yourself. Study to show yourself approved. Um, you know, I don't know everything, so it may be in a year or two I'll be contradicting myself. Uh, but, you know, nature doesn't till. But nature is also broken, so we can't just, we can't just look to nature as the answer. We need to look to God as the answer. So you want to keep weed seeds from being withdrawn from the weed seed bank. This is one bank you don't want to withdraw from. You know, there's like I say, there's, there's weeds that can be in the soil for years and years and years just sitting there waiting. Oh, when will somebody come and till me up? <laughs> okay, use plastic or fabric mulch. Now again, this is a little bit uh, controversial. And what can I say? I, in an ideal world, I would not use plastic or fabric mulch. What I can tell you is that we about lost our shirts. Uh, when we started out farming, because we started out as an organic strawberry farm, and we were trying to grow strawberries with straw and, um, and without using any herbicides or anything, and we just couldn't make money at it, and it was so much work. And it was only when we started using, well, we first started using fabric mulch and then plastic that we were able to actually begin to make money at it. So I guess I would say it's a little bit of a compromise. We know that, that plastic is, is non-renewable, you know, non-sustainable. Um, but I guess from a commercial point of view, and again, I, I hope I'm not rationalizing, justifying, but, you know, if, if people go to the store and buy strawberries, I can guarantee you they were grown on plastic. And not only were they grown on plastic, but they were grown with... Did you know strawberries are the number one most toxic fruit and vegetable? Don't ever buy strawberries from the store uh, unless they're organic. So, you know, I feel like we have a we can offer people a better choice, even though it's maybe not the ideal. Fabric mulch, do you know what that is? They call it landscape fabric. Uh, it's not what you buy at at the hardware store, which is kind of a felt kind of thing. This is a woven fabric. Um, I wish I had a good picture of it. It will have stripes every 12 inches down it. 
it's used they use it outdoors like if they're growing mums or something you know they put down this black fabric it's used in nurseries it it will last for many many years that's the that's the upside to it you know you can reuse it pull it up and reuse it again you can buy it anywhere from like three feet wide to ten feet wide or more um, so you just burn holes in it or cut slits in it and plant your plants in there now what I'll tell you is this with, with these is to follow the 60-day rule if you have a crop that's going to be in the garden for more than 60 days I think it's worth your time to put down some mulch because otherwise you're going to spend a lot of time weeding cultivating something so so that's if if it's going to be in and out quicker you know like lettuce we well my son's trying to convince me that we should use mulch fabric mulch for lettuce but at this point we don't because it's in and out you know the first half of the lettuce's life is in the greenhouse it's only in the garden for a month and it's out so does that make sense dewitt is is a brand name for for the fabric mulch and again i don't want to i don't want to uh, promote my son's business too much because that sounds self-serving but farmer's friend does sell this fabric mulch that you can buy it other places as well but it's you're you're not going to buy it like i said at a at a hardware store you're going to have to go to a nursery supply house now we should be getting i didn't even look to see if it came some catalogs from deerfield supplies it's a mennonite company out of of uh, kentucky so you're not going to find them on the internet but they were supposed to be sending some catalogs they are our go-to source for most of our supplies because they're very you know mennonites and amish they they're fair you know they they don't gouge you so it's going to be cheaper there than most anywhere else deerfield supplies again you well, you probably could get their address by Googling, but um, you're not going to find a website. But look on the resource table because they were supposed to be sending some catalogs. Okay, moving on. Use organic mulch. You know, you're, I'm sure you're thinking, well, why use plastic mulch if you can use organic mulch? Well, that's a good question but there are some reasons <clears throat> there are some potential drawbacks of organic mulch depending on your climate and location so by organic mulches we're talking about straw we're talking about leaves we're talking about grass clippings what else woodshed wood wow yeah that's a whole nother topic um, as a mulch only if if it stays on top of the soil I would say wood chips are are good um, if but it's hard to leave them on top of the soil and so when when you start getting them worked in they can really rob the soil of nitrogen plus other challenges we i'll tell you where we use wood chips is on all our perennials our blueberries love it it's wonderful on blueberries and we were even experimenting with it in our asparagus mulching our asparagus with wood chips uh, we don't use them in our garden but so obviously the advantage of organic mulch is that you are building your organic matter it's going to break down and and help your soil that's a good thing uh, the disadvantages let's see well what other advantages are there um, keeps the soil cooler it like a straw mulch 
will keep the soil cooler if you it will hold the moisture in so those are all good things about organic mulch bad things are or the negatives are price number one you know you're gonna pay a lot more for straw to cover a garden than you are to put down fabric mulch which is going to last for 10 years um, straw looks better in my opinion you know it's more natural but it can be very expensive and and then other things oh spoiled hay people put down you know you can get bales from farmers that have been ruined you know by rain or whatever and use that of course that has a whole another set of issues with weed seeds and stuff um, but some other issues are if you live in a more wet climate, humid, wet climate, you can get a lot of disease issues. You know, like if you have your mulch up against your plants, you'll get problems with the stems molding, rotting, that kind of thing. Um, it can encourage slugs and other bugs that you don't really want. They love to hide in that mulch. So I would just say, you know, in, in a drier climate, I, I think I'd be more inclined to use um, organic mulches if I had a good source. But, you know, again, finding them, bringing, hauling them, spreading them out, it's work. Now, you know, gardening is work, so I'm not trying to discourage work. But I think you can imagine if you're growing on an acre or more, trying to cover it with anything, you're talking about dump trucks and dump trucks of material. It's just not practical. Okay, number nine, use silage tarps. I wish the lighting was a little better in here. Can you see that? Oh, wow, we should have done that earlier. So this is, this is our farm, and uh, we, have, we have divided it into these 40 by 100 acre plots. And a silage tarp is just a heavy-duty UV-treated plastic that on one side is black and on the other side is white. And I can't tell you why it's white on one side and black on the other um, except that it does have some some unique uses uh, but what we do is we will the, the best time to use this in my opinion is after your spring crops and the classic example is beets so we plant our beets you know we use three rows per bed and we can cultivate for the first few weeks, but beet leaves tend to kind of lay on the ground. And so very quickly, it, it becomes very hard to cultivate with a collinear hoe or something. And they also tend to be maturing right as the grass, I was saying, you know, right as that starts taking over. So by the time we've finished harvesting our beets, we tend to have weeds there I'm embarrassed to say but we often have weeds in the beet plot so in the past you know once we pull out the beets we'd be out there wheel hoeing all that and if you were in Matt's class on leaning the farm he talked about how weeding is the Japanese term is muda it's waste I mean you're not you're not making any money by weeding. Of course, we know what happens if you don't weed, so that's not an option either. But the point is it's a waste that you want to eliminate as much as possible. So rather than wheel hoeing empty pads, we just make sure the soil is wet, nice and moist, cover it with a silage tarp, weight it down around the edges with sandbags, and let it sit 
for a month. And I'll tell you, it's, it's amazing what you see when you pull that tarp back. Um, you, you've got this loose, moist soil begging to be planted. It, it's amazing. If you have good earthworm activity, the earthworms love it under there. Now, again, I realize, you know, with plastic, there are some who would say, you know, that you're poisoning the ground with toxic chemicals from the plastic. I've tried to do some research on that, and I have found very little out there on that. So at this point, we're going by, by what the earthworms say, and they seem to love it. I first saw this demonstrated at JM's farm in Canada, and when he pulled that silage tarp back, and there were these huge earthworms all over the surface of the soil. They thought this was heaven because it was moist, it was dark, and there was all this organic matter for them to eat. They just loved it. So they come up, pull that all down, loosen it up, and literally when you pull that tarp back, you're ready to plant. Not only does it... Uh, to kill the weeds because you know it gets warm under there with that black beating down but it also germinates weed seeds because most most seeds like cool warm dark temperatures uh, or environment for for germinating so they germinate and they're like okay where's the light and it never comes and so they die. Well, we're going to save questions. Sorry, but we got to get through this. Heavy-duty, UV-resistant black or white plastic. Black on white, sorry. Uh, boy, I'd love to... There are a lot of other uses we have for the silage tarp. It needs to be down for three or four weeks. So that could be a disadvantage if you're really trying to get fast turnover. And I will say it's the closest thing I've found to no work bed preparation. Now I know every, you know, everything has its, its downside as well as its upside, but it's revolutionized our farm in that we don't have to spend all summer, um, you know, cultivating empty pads. Because actually, we grow more in the fall and spring, and well, not, yeah, fall and spring are our big seasons. We don't grow as much in the summer, and in the winter, it doesn't take up as much space either. Uh, okay, well, let's get through it, and then we'll come back. Try flame weeding. Now, obviously, well, you can get home uh, single torch flame weeders pretty inexpensively you know just with a, a little propane canister so what flame weeding does is actually you're not trying to burn the weeds into oblivion you're just trying to all you have to do is heat them up for a second and it bursts the cells you know, the, the moisture in the cells of the plant expand with the heat and it just bursts the cell and within a few hours, everything's going to be dead. So it's actually a, something that, that farmers and market gardeners have used for many years, actually, back before World War II. It was very popular. And then the chemicals came out more and it had kind of gone into disuse, but now it's getting more popular again. Again, it's, it's only really effective if the weeds are small and it can be combined really well with the stale seed beds. So rather than cultivating your bed shallowly, like we talked about earlier, you just run a a flame weeder over it 
and you don't even have to disturb the soil at all. So, you know, this uh, uh, commercial flame weeder like this is going to cost you more money than any home gardener is going to want to spend. Um, but, like I say, you can buy little home units. They often use them for, like, killing weeds in cracks in the sidewalk and stuff, or melting ice, multi-purpose. Uh, but you can use them for, for killing weeds. Number 11, use clear plastic for solarization. This is one that I'll just tell you I've actually never done. I've seen it demonstrated, and I guess the bottom line is I've never had enough time and energy to do it. But what you do... Rather than using the, the black plastic, you use clear plastic. Again, you need to make sure the soil is moist. Temperatures must be hot, so you want to do it in the summertime. And then the edges must be sealed, so you need to kind of dig a little trench all the way around. Lay this out, put it in the trench, and put dirt around it so you're sealing it totally up. And basically what you're doing is cooking that soil down to a depth of three or four inches. And you're killing everything in that top three or four inches. And, you know, sh the first thing people say, well, what about all the good microbes and stuff? You know, what I've heard is that, number one, you know, they're going to kind of move away from the heat. Um, but, but, but the bigger thing, I think, is that they multiply very quickly. And so once you kill the weed seeds, because it will actually kill the seeds in the soil, those first few inches, um, that they tend to repopulate very quickly. So I can't, you know, I'm just going by what I have heard from others on that. I have never used it, but it is an option. And I have seen results of a farm that use it. Not only does this kill weeds, but it kills pathogens. If you're having issues with soil-borne pathogens, you can do this, and it's supposed to do quite a good job on that. Number 12, never let weeds go to seed. That's not really a technique, but that's a philosophy. One year's seeding is seven years weeding. If you just keep that saying in mind, it'll send you to the garden with the fear of, of the results of seven years weeding. But it's really true. You know, if you read, I think, I think I've read that pigweed, do you all know what pigweed is? It's a horrible weed. But that one puts out like 40,000 seeds per plant on average, something like that. So you can imagine one plant multiplying by 40,000. It doesn't take long if you don't keep weeds under control. So ultimately what this means is that if you have to get out there with a mower or a weed eater, do it. Better to cut down the last of your broccoli than to let the weeds go to seed. You know, cut it, weed eat it down, water it, put a tarp on it, and when fall comes, man, that, you'll be ready to plant some more. Okay, and I have a bonus. Uh, a farmer's dozen. You know, um, you always want to give people more than they expect. So when you go to the farmer's markets, you give 13 instead of 12 in your dozen. So use smother crops to outcompete weeds. This is a picture of buckwheat, a great summer smother crop. Buckwheat grows so fast that it will grow 
it will outcompete the weeds and you know the weeds can't can't thrive uh, there's other options. Summer, I recommend buckwheat, soybeans, cowpeas work really good for us. Very vigorous. Sorghum sedan grass. Now, the reason I put these last is because home gardeners have a challenge with cover crops. What do you do with them at the end of their life cycle? You know, there hasn't been a lot of good ways to work them into the soil on a home garden basis. Winter uh, wheat, rye, vetch, crimson clover. I would recommend seed thicker than, than the recommended rates. You know, if you go to the co-op or something and ask them what's the rate for sowing buckwheat, they'll give you a number and you know, just double it or something because you want it really thick. But it is a good way, you know, if you're going on vacation in the summer, you're going to be gone for an extended vacation, a month or something. Just sow your garden to buckwheat or something. It'll mature in a month rather than just let the weeds grow for a month. You never want to leave your soil just bare. That's just bad bad stewardship as well as bad for for um, weeds and everything else so I would just say view these tips as tools in your tool chest all may not be relevant for your situation but the more strategies you use the better the chances of keeping your weeds from showing keep in mind that it is very short-sighted to allow other farming activities to take priority over cultivating you know when you've got to be harvesting and you've got to be doing this going to market it's easy to say well I'll do that tomorrow but all financially profitable farms that I know of have their weeds under control that's just part of the equation and ultimately, a weed-free garden will be a much more enjoyable place to be. Nobody likes to be out in a weed patch, so you'll avoid it. It may be subconscious, but it's like, I, I don't want to go out there. It's discouraging, right? But if you can stay on top of it, it's like, oh, let me go to the garden, regain my composure. You know, that's what mothers need to do when you're homeschooling. Okay, I'm having recess. You all study. I'm going to the garden, right? Okay, that's all I have to I mean, that's not all I have to say, but that's all I have time for. Questions? Do I, I know you raised your hand a long time well, ago. Okay, so she's saying that when they lived in Maine, they would just put the garden to bed under plastic in the fall. You know, again, I don't feel like I'm, I'm really qualified to, to speak to that. I mean, I know it works well as far as results, but how good it is for the soil to keep it covered long term. I'm not sure that I could say, you know, I, I would much more encourage somebody to put it to bed in the fall with a cover crop. So some rye on it or something, that way it's staying, I don't know, it just seems better to me. But rather than the plastic, the plastic, you know, ideally, in my opinion, three or four weeks is good with the plastic but you don't want to leave it on all season although i will say if you're dealing with something like bermuda grass or some really really noxious grass noxious weed you may want to do that put it down for a whole season because that's that's the only well not the only way but that's a good way to try to get rid of some of those bad grasses Okay, question here and then back here. I'm, I'm happy to go longer, but if you need to leave, the time is up. So just leave if you need. Could you put the list up one more time? 
which list? Oh, just go through them again? I didn't have a master list, I'm sorry. But you're welcome to come up here and look through it if you'd like. Okay. Wayne Newton is going to help us upload them. So bug him. And no, I don't think he's going to need bugging, but he just actually offered to help make that a reality. So. I was going to say, like something I had heard, um, Ray Tyler. Yes. With the white side up. With, I'm sure, the white side up. <coughs> yes. The silage tarp. And then he's checking it every 12 hours, I'm sure. And then once they start sprouting, he pulls the tarp off. Yeah, that so. kind of get, get you a little bit ahead, maybe, on certain things, too. So that's. Use, the silage tarp can kind of be used. If you don't have a way to start seedlings in a greenhouse, you might be able to start it with silage tarp. So, yeah, he was saying that silage tarps are being used for for hastening carrot germination we actually went to ray tyler's farm after he had um, done that for the first time and it was impressive he had some really good carrot germination so i haven't done it uh, again the key there is you're going to have to really be vigilant because if, if those germinate and you don't get that tarp off soon enough, you're going to kill them. So, but th that's another, you know, there's, there's a number of other uses of silage tarp. I think back here. So, uh, you know, those are all great, but we got, we got some land that we long run. Well, I think what I would recommend, this, the question is about dealing with new pasture that they're trying to put into garden this year uh, you know I would just recommend starting small and doing enough that you can just stay on top of it yeah you're probably gonna have to till or you know I don't know if what you can find to to initially work the soil but you'll have to do whatever you have to do but then once you've done that you know the, these methods of cultivate it's just a matter of, of vigilance diligence little attentions often repeated you know those grasses if it's like orchard grass or something they're going to be kind of in clumps you know you're going to be going through and pulling out those clumps but if you well bermuda you know any any weed can be conquered but some are going to take a lot more diligence bermuda grass obviously is a real challenge but it just means you got to be out there every two or three days, you know, getting it out. <laughs> this is this is part of the character building, right? I mean, this is why we're this is why we're here. Okay, there was a question up here somewhere. I don't know. I'm having a hard time. Okay, here. A lot, a lot of those weeds can have nutritional value. You know, you also talked about a lot of times we throw away the the bees of the of the that has high nutritional, high in antioxidants. And it's good to get educated on the weeds that grow there because you might have dandelion weeds growing there and you don't recognize them. You might have all kinds of good stuff growing yeah, there. Yeah, that's a good point. Weeds, you know what, uh, so the, the point was that a lot of weeds have nutritional value. My definition of a weed is just a plant in the wrong place. So... I, obviously, that means that good crops can be a weed if they're growing where you don't want them. But yeah, it's true that many weeds, purslane, you all know purslane? I mean, we actually sell that to the chefs. That's a pretty good deal. You know, we go out and weed and then sell it. <laughs> so purslane's good, lamb's quarters, uh, dandelions, chickweed. Okay, good point. Johnson grass, no, we have not found another use for Johnson grass. I'm here in Texas, and I like what the plastic does to the soil, but the fire ants love that heat, and they just move right in there. Boy, that is a good point. Uh, she's saying that in Texas, the fire ants love the silage tarps. Yeah, they do. 
But I'll tell you what, this is something I've tried a little bit, but I, I know it works. I just need to do it more. Um, you know, this is one of those things where you can go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, how do I deal with this? And he impressed me, you know, how am I going to cleanse the earth with fire? <laughs> so fight fire ants with fire. If you, if you have your, you've done that and did it work? Well, so I'm saying just use a flame weeder, you know, go to the hardware store and get one of these. So you have one person disturbing the nest and the other person just firing them, giving them judgment. Okay, question over here. Yeah, so the question is, you know, how do you control weeds in large areas? Uh, you know, if you're going to use a tractor planter, you need to have a tractor cultivator. That's the bottom line. And, and you know, I'm just thinking there's another one I should have put in here, and that is to don't plant more than you can weed. Um, you know, the, the big temptation with gardeners or farmers is, you know, planting's the easy part. Maintaining it is, is the challenge. So you planted too much. You know, if you didn't have the ability to control the weeds, you planted too much. And that's why, again, I think it was in Matt's session yesterday, I heard a little bit of it. He's talking about how market farms are getting smaller and smaller. You know, that's our farms doing that. At one point, we were farming close to seven acres. We're down to, last year, we were down to two and a half. This year, we're actually resting the land. So my son's just doing a little bit on some other land. But next year, we're going to be down to two, two acres. And we'd like to keep shrinking it if we can. Because the less you do... Uh, there's another saying, farm the least amount of, po of land as possible, but farm it the best you can. Uh, you know, you can, you can manage a small area much bigger than a large area. And actually make more money and, and get more produce because you're managing it better. It's intensive. Okay, well, thank you all for your time. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.